Now I have this wonderful passage from John to read. John 10, verses 1, starting at verse 1. And in the Pew Bible, it's 1123. John 10. I tell you the truth. The man does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and to have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So he sees the wolf coming and he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and, know, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have no other sheep that are not, I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Thank you, Rita. Let's, uh, let's pray before I begin. Well, we pray uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts draw us into a greater understanding of who you are and how much you love us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the first Sunday of Lent of our new preaching series, where if you hadn't guessed from the bookmarks, did anyone get a bookmark? Anyone got a bookmark? There is way less enthusiasm about these bookmarks than I like. I'm very excited about these bookmarks. Thank you. There we go. Wave those bookmarks. I need to see this. Okay, so for the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at the I am statements of Jesus that he makes in the Gospel of John. Uh, our theme for the year is who do you say I am? And so this kind of overlapped kind of perfectly. I got very excited about it. Some of you who are new to the church might be kind of surprised that we have these flashy bookmarks. It's not really on brand for us. We don't really do much flashy things. 
Uh, and then those of you that have been here a while probably also thinking they're not really on brand for us. We don't do flight. But it's been a really rough couple of years, and I'm just excited about the bookmark. So let me have this, okay? Let's just... <laughs> So the next seven Sundays, which include Easter Sunday, which is very convenient because there are these seven I am statements of Jesus in John. And today, if it wasn't very obvious, I am going to be looking at Jesus as the good shepherd. Uh, there is a lot in that reading that we just heard, I know. And there's actually two I am statements. There's also the I am the gate or I am the door. I'm going to be looking at that next week, so don't worry. It's not an oversight. Uh, but today, I am going to do something I haven't done in a very long while. I hope you will permit me to do this. Today, I am going to preach for you a three-point sermon. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And for those of you that like making notes, and I know there are a few of those three points are Jesus knows his people's story, he knows his people's names, and he knows what kind of example his people need. I was expecting a round of applause for that, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Thanks. Yeah, that felt authentic. <laughs> it's also looking at the kind of leader that Jesus is, and I think that's really important for all of us. All of us ultimately will find ourselves in different positions of leadership. I know we have some people with some quite uh, high-pressure jobs, and there's some leadership involved there. There might be some leadership involved in the home. This might be leadership just with friends that don't know as much as you do maybe about Jesus. So there's lots of different ways uh, that we can be leaders in our lives. And I think this passage gives such a perfect example of what Jesus-like leadership looks like. So that first point is that Jesus knows his people's story. Jesus claims, I am the good shepherd. And this is like a really, really loaded statement, but it's one that shows he appreciates everyone in his audience, everyone that is close to him. Shepherds have been a really important role throughout Israelites' history. So anyone there with a sense of history, a sense of their story, would know that claiming to be a shepherd is kind of significant. Uh, David, who's considered the greatest king of Israel, of course, was a literal shepherd before he was king. Uh, maybe the best-known psalm is Psalm 23, which begins with the line, The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, he's referred to as a shepherd in Psalm 80 and Psalm 100. Isaiah 40, a perfect piece of scripture, says, God tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. So God being a shepherd wouldn't have been particularly new to his audience, but he is reminding them that I know you, I know your story, I know what you've been through, I know your history, I know you, and I see you. But he's also doing something else here, which he does a lot. Because the role of shepherd is also one that was seen as quite degrading in society at the time. When Jesus claims to be a shepherd, he's claiming to be one of the least in society. He's claiming to be one of the people that might not always be welcome, one of the people that might always have been respected, one of the people that wouldn't have been at these fancy dinners that weirdly Jesus sometimes gets invited to. 
those people who find themselves on the outskirts of a faith community, of society in general. We see the shepherd's inclusion of the birth in, of Jesus as very strange and interesting and brilliant and shows that God is always looking towards those margins and drawing them into his story. But the reality is that shepherds are poor, they're uneducated, they're outcasts, and they smell bad most of the time. So Jesus calling himself the good shepherd is this incredible example of being a leader that everyone feels heard, everyone feels seen, that he is encapturing everyone's story, that there is room for everyone here. From the most educated and scholarly to the completely illiterate, he knows his people listening to him that have been studying scripture their entire lives. And there's people like this here too. I know there's people that have been reading scripture for 93 years, Phyllis. I'm going to just bring out how old you are. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but Phyllis keeps on going back, right, and keeps going back and keeps going back. And that's a really wonderful, beautiful thing, hoping to find something new because there's always something new and exciting to explore and find with Jesus. But there's also people that may have been hearing this for the first time. There may have been people that haven't been welcome in those spaces. And so it's the first time they have felt seen. And I think this is a really important way to do leadership in a way that makes everyone feel valued and valid and welcome. We sometimes see leaders that focus quite heavily on one demographic at the exclusion of others. Jesus shows us the perfect way is one that includes everyone. I will say also, preaching is kind of like this too. Uh, I really like that other people preach here because then they realize how like, difficult it is. <laughs> But ultimately, when you're preaching, you're communicating with people who have been listening to sermons for 93 years. You're welcome, Phyllis. And people that might have been in the congregation for the first time. It might be their first time in a church. And so how do we communicate in a way that leaves both of those people feeling seen? And more importantly, knowing that Jesus loves them. That is our challenge as leaders all the time. At the same time, I love that because ultimately it means every week I have to put, go on my knees and beg God for something that is hopefully going to resonate with everyone. And I believe that our God is big enough, and I think that Scripture is rich enough that we can do that. Jesus calling himself the Good Shepherd evokes images of kings to some, but of the grim reality of being alone at night to others but they're all seen by him. Jesus knows their story. And so like whether you are here for the 5,000th time, uh, or this is your first time, the hope is that you can be excited by what Jesus is doing and what is happening here. All right, point two of our three-point sermon. Jesus knows their names. Verse 3 says that the shepherd, good shepherd calls his own sheep by name. Now, I know nothing about farming or animals or first century agriculture or 21st century agriculture. I like 
the food just magically ends up in the grocery store as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, I have no idea of the processing. I don't know how it works. So I had to do some studying as to what shepherds do uh, now and then. What was interesting, apparently, I, I read it this week, who knows, I think it's true, is that back then shepherds did actually name their sheep and the sheep would actually respond to those names, much like we do with pets today. And I just think it's such like a lovely image that I'm, I'm really happy to hold on to that. But this also kind of reveals the difference between uh, shepherd leaders and perhaps other kind of leaders. Uh, pastor, by the way, is just Latin for shepherd. Like, there's nothing clever about the name. It's just a translation that we've hung on to. Uh, so, like, I want to hold on to this shepherd leader example because otherwise I'm not doing my job. But as I say, I don't, I don't really know much about farming, so, so bear with me. This week I've been learning the difference between shepherds and cow herds, so people that move cows around and people that move sheep around. And the first thing I learned that I thought was interesting is that cow herds lead from behind. Shepherds lead from the front, cow herds lead from behind. Uh, so if you have an image of a guy on horseback kind of rounding up cows, I think that's fairly accurate actually. But what this means is that things can be intimidating for the cows because they, they don't know that where they're going is safe. They're, they're moving because they're a bit scared, but not because they can trust where they're going. However, sheep following a shepherd, they know that where they are going is safe because they are following the footsteps of one who knows their names, of one that they can trust. And so one of the things to look for in a leader, frankly, is someone willing to go before you and someone willing to do the things they are asking you to do. I hope that in this church there is a knowledge and expectation that, frankly, the leaders here will not ask you to do something we are not willing to do ourselves. That's not what good leadership looks like. That's not what shepherd leadership looks like. Another thing that was quite interesting to me is that typically cow herds will sometimes use like a, a cattle prod to kind of jab and poke uh, to shock or hurt the cows into going where they want to go, uh, whereas a shepherd uses their voice. The sheep are led by a voice that they know, by a voice that they trust, and a voice that knows their names. And <laughs> I'm sure we're at least somewhat aware of some uh, church leaders in particular who might want to keep people in line with uh, threats or pressures, who might want to say, like, if you don't do what I'm saying, if you don't do what I tell you, uh, bad things are going to happen to you, and that's either we're going to stop talking to you or we'll throw you out the church or go to hell. Um, sometimes pastors uh, don't honor that shepherd calling they don't rely on knowing the person's name. They rely on threats. Because that's not who Jesus is. That's not uh, who I believe the leaders of this church are like. And that's not the kind of pastor that I want to be. For me being a pastor, what's important is that if you feel like we're going somewhere new and, and frightening, uh, hopefully me knowing your name and knowing your story uh, is enough to, to trust me, even though that feels new or different. Jesus, of course, 
famously relies on this good shepherd imagery elsewhere. Uh, perhaps the most famous is the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, the shepherd abandons the majority of his flock to seek the one that has gone missing. What's interesting to me is like, this is a good shepherd, but a terrible businessman. <laughs> like it's a terrible idea to abandon 99% of your stock to seek the one piece that has gone missing. Like no business manager in the world would admit that's a good idea. But the shepherd knows that sheep by name and, and then so it all makes sense. Like he's not chasing a piece of property. He's not chasing an asset or like a loss on a balance sheet. He's, he's chasing something that matters to him. Like I was, uh, I, was walking, I was walking to church today and I don't live far away and there was a lost dog sign on a lamppost and it just like destroys me every time I see one of those things knowing that someone is, is well a pet that they love and love enough to like tell people about it. Um, and so I can't even imagine how excruciating that pain is for God when, when we stray from, from him. And so, of course, the shepherd seeks us out. And of course, Jesus seeks us out because he knows our names and he knows us. Like some of us may know people uh, that may have forgotten or just never been told how much Jesus loves them and how beautiful that love is. And they may have become really good at hiding from God because of being excited to be found by him. They run away because they don't think he's safe for them. Worried about what, what they'll do when, uh, when, when God finds them. And so it is on us as leaders in whatever capacity that means for us. It's on us to remind them that, yeah, Jesus is looking for you, but like not so he can punish you. It's, it's so that he can bring you home. Henry Nouwen sums this up perfectly. He says, the good shepherd seeks out the lost and the wandering sheep, not to punish them, but to bring them back into the fold of his love and protection. So that's point two. Jesus knows their names, and they matter to him. So the third point, which I already spoiled for you, and we're going to have to talk about this a bit next week because it kind of blends in with the door one. Um, <laughs> But Jesus shows us exactly the kind of example that we need. He shows us what true servant, true shepherd leadership looks like. And what he does there is by giving it all up, giving it all away. Jesus says over and over in this passage five times that a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 10 says, yeah, good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 15 says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, three more times in 17 and 18, I lay down my life, I lay down my life, I lay down my life. And I wonder how central this is to our understanding of Jesus. Because it's so different to what worldly leadership looks like so much of the time. 
the idea of abdicating power, of giving it up, of giving it over, of not clinging tight, it just seems so at odds with what I see from leaders so often. I've been uh, reading this book, Jesus and John Wayne, which I'd encourage people to read, very interesting book. Uh, and it speaks to the idea of just how captivated Christians have been by a Jesus that looks like Mel Gibson in Braveheart, by a Jesus who's strong and swings a sword and rippling muscles. It's kind of weird. Like, but people are super into this strongman Jesus. It's like captivated North America. And the problem is that because they think that's the ideal man, they then create themselves in that image that they themselves created of Jesus in the first place. And that's why so much of North American Christianity looks nothing like Jesus. Like, I don't think this is news to a lot of you, I'm assuming. <laughs> I don't want to give it too much time because I don't think it's worth it. Um, but like, there's people who are captivated by this strongman Jesus. And the problem, really what I think is the core problem here at the heart of all of this, is that Jesus isn't in the Bible. <laughs> Which feels like an obvious thing, but apparently I don't know. I feel like I'm the one going crazy. There's like... We just, we just love this idea of like a powerful Jesus somehow who like smashes his enemies. There's, there's a song right now called Lion, and I, I heard some people singing it. The, also, I know every time I preach, I, there's like another song we can't sing on a Sunday morning because I get mad about them. Um, but there's a song called Lion right now, and the lyrics go, uh, like, like a lamb you suffered, but the lion has a rose. Hail the lion of Judah, let the lion roar. And like this image of Jesus as a roaring lion is a really popular one, because who doesn't want a lion on their side? Like, I've seen the lion, the witch of the wardrobe. I want to be friends with Aslan too. But... <laughs> Like, uh, let me just, because this is important, like, this is really important. If you take nothing away, take this. There is, the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you, I'm going to read to you every reference of Jesus as a lion in the Bible. Every single one, right now. It's not zero, that's not the joke. This is, every, every single verse, here we go. Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I turned and I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. That's all of them. That's it. The strength of Jesus isn't to, to overpower our enemies. And, and that's in the Bible. You can find it. Like David, as a shepherd, kills lion, kills bears, brags about it. Like, good for him. That's fine. Jesus isn't willing to take lives. <laughs> that, that's too worldly, right? It's too predictable. Instead, he lays his life down. It's not because he can't. Like, we know. It's like, I've got 10,000 legions of angels. I can smash it all. If I want to, I can. But he doesn't, so he doesn't. But <laughs> those, those stories of, of giving things up, of laying power down, uh, those, those aren't as popular. Those aren't as appealing, I don't think. Like, 
There's no action movies where the, the hero just goes up against the bad guys at the end and lays down his guns and dies. Like, I wouldn't watch that movie. <laughs> but that's what Jesus does. Like, he lays his life down. That's what being a good shepherd does, being willing to give it all up. And, and it's hard, but it's also the only thing that makes sense to me. Otherwise, he'd just be like every other earthly leader, and I don't care about that. He'd just have more horses or bigger bombs or a better spin campaign or better marketing. But those stories aren't our story, and so instead we hail the lamb who is slain. This is what this is what shepherd leadership looks like. Like, what are we willing to give up? What are we willing to put at the feet of Jesus? How are we willing to emulate that line of Judah who has always been and will always be a lamb who is slain? There's nothing more powerless than that, and that that's 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 our shepherd right there. I, th I thought I'd end this with a story of, of a woman who I thought uh, did something similar. Uh, and it's someone I'd never heard of before. I know there's like a couple of people who uh, famously gave up their lives and that's incredible and their stories are really important. But uh, I think often we overhear about the same people. And it's really good to know that there's like names we haven't heard of. There's people we don't know about who are still doing these things. Um, so, any, out of interest, I'm just genuinely curious, has anyone heard of Dorothy Stang before? Perfect. Um, <laughs> which, I, I'm not being mad, I didn't either, but it illustrates my point so perfectly. <laughs> so, Sister Dorothy Stang was a Catholic nun who felt a deep call to serve God in China. Uh, but God had a sense of humor and so didn't send her to China. And instead, she was sent to Brazil. She arrived there in 1966 to help the poor farmers in the Amazon rainforest to build independent futures for their families. And uh, if anyone's following what's happening in the Amazon right now, it's not great and is being exploited in lots of different ways. And so over the years, her work became increasingly more dangerous. And as the world discovered that the land could be exploited, loggers and ranchers and speculators became those dominant forces in the region. They were the power brokers. And they victimized poor farmers and destroyed the rainforest. And because of Sister Dorothy's vocal activism against this exploitation, she was added to the death list by these power brokers. And people said, like, you've got to get out, your life is at risk. And she said this, I don't want to flee, nor do I want to abandon the battle of these farmers who live without any protection in the forest. They have a sacrosanct right to aspire to a better life on land where they can live and work with dignity while respecting the environment. And she asked time and time again for government protection of the people that she served, uh, but due to corruption, she was refused that protection. And on February 12, 2005, whilst walking along a dirt road in the Amazon rainforest, she was approached by two armed men who were paid by a local livestock company. They asked her if she had any weapons, and she replied saying, the only weapon I have on me is my Bible. But she drew out and began to repeat the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. She took a step forward and was shot in the stomach, collapsed to the ground before being shot in the back and in the head. Following her death, uh, the president of Brazil put 20,000 uh, square miles of the rainforest where she lived under environmental federal protection. Uh, and that has given hope to the human rights defenders and the environmentalists, and it like, encourages the people there uh, and reminds them that you know God isn't done and God hasn't abandoned them and God's people haven't abandoned them and there are good shepherds there. Like Sister Dorothy to me is just this perfect example of of what a good shepherd looks like. Like she's intimately acquainted with those people that she served. She knows their story so well. She knew the names of the people that she served and she, much like Jesus, was willing to lay down her life for them. I, I know that this is a tall order. <laughs> I know lots of us aren't necessarily going to be found in those spaces where our lives are at risk. I understand that. But as we continue to ask this question throughout the year, throughout this series, like, who do you say I am, Jesus? Are we willing to ask, like, what is it you need me to give up? What is it I'm holding on to? Where, where am I powerful that I need to be willing to be less powerful? Where do I think I'm a bit too important where I need to give that up? What does it look like for my life to emulate the line of Judah who is always and will always be the lamb who is slain? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example. And Lord, we thank you that whilst you don't make it easy to follow you, you make it clear what we need to do to follow you. Lord, as we continue to ask that question, who do you say I am? Both as individuals, as families, as groups, as a church. We eagerly and excitedly wait for your response, knowing your love and your voice will guide us through. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.